the Alternative Stories and Fake Realities podcast. Audio drama, poetry, fiction. Last time on Black Box, Captain Lake is piloting a huge iceberg through space to supply water to the huge and abandoned ark ship Ithaca. Following an accident, the berg is off course and heading for the Rigel star system where, unless Lake can correct its course, it will be melted by the heat of stars within the system. Meanwhile, years earlier on Europa, Jupiter's ice moon, we meet Commander Boone. Midday, midday. This is the altitude submersible research vessel. Navigational system failure. Critical hull rupture. Descending into the deepest trench in Europa's subterranean ocean. Precise location unknown. Crew life signs on. This is an automated message. Kevin Manwaring, with Louis Watson, Danielle Ellett, and Charlie Richards. Episode 2, Europa. survey base. Your base, Commander Boone. Hmm. Let's have a proper look at you. A cluster of hexagonal units resembling a carbon ring. Those clever designers coded into your architecture the building blocks of life. It's an apt structure for such a base and its search for life here on Jupiter's bleakest of moons. And there you are with your big red eye, looking down on us. Hope you don't mind us being here. We are vulnerable down here to your intense radiation, Mr. Gas Giant. Need to protect ourselves. That's why we've got those huge magnets around the base's perimeter, creating a shield, a mini magnetosphere, as Mossimo pointed out. Huh, it's uh, critical it's kept on full power at all times. Hence these routine maintenance checks. I could have got one of the drones onto it, of course, but hey, I like to get outside now and then. Being on the base and before that in the supply ship for months at a time was enough to drive anyone stir-crazy. Talk about cabin fever. 
course, I've been rigorously tested and trained to endure such conditions. My psychological profile demonstrated I had, quote, the right temperament to lead a team under such conditions, the ultimate red-eye long haul. <laughs> My folks had raised me to be like that on our solar farm in Colorado. They instilled in their little boom bug values of self-sufficiency, resilience, respect, and gratitude. And they have stayed with me ever since. Thank the big black that we've made it. And that this country gal has been given the opportunity to lead perhaps the most important mission in human history. Not bad for the daughter of climate refugees from Trinidad who, by a strange quirk of fate, ended up in Trinidad, Colorado harvesting sunlight. The Refugee Act and the Science Scholarship transformed the narrative of my life from disaster to success story. Lauded as a shining example of new America reborn from the ashes of its own wars. Be damned if I'm gonna let myself get used to this. As my dear old pa was fond of saying whenever we were out on the land fixing the panels after a dust storm, the mountains took a long time to grow. Take some time taking them in. You'll learn a lot just by looking. The view is kind of beautiful in a stark way. The ice shelf the base is dug into extends 25 clicks in every direction. A pale, cracked petri dish. The dark rim of the far distances remind me that we've settled in the Poith Crater, one of the deepest and widest on the moon. Overlooking all the massive presence of Mr. Gas Giant, looking down upon the ice skate, it's a great red spot and vibrant bands of superstorms contrasting with Europa's almost monochrome billiard ball. And beyond, the Via Lacta of the Milky Way strewn luxuriously across the sky, a feather boa glistening with stars. How did Buzz Aldrin describe the moon during that first historic landing a century ago? That's right. Beautiful desolation. Somewhere out there, Earth, a fragile island in a vast and indifferent universe. Stop admiring you. Your engineered geometry, the inner ring of command modules lit up against the dark, and attached to them in spokes the outer modules, living, sleeping, generator and plant, science one and two, each hexagonal segment casting its frail pool of light out into the night. The base sitting in the bowl that had been gouged out by the tractors. Our fleet of vehicles remained dormant. Snowcats, skidoos, tractors, cranes, and maintenance vehicles all awaiting use. Nearby stood the mining tower, lights blinking in the void, where drilling has been underway for several weeks. The cryobot cooling after slowly melting its way down to the subterranean ocean. And in its launch chute, the large hulk of the submersible, ready to descend. The maintenance drones undertaking final checks. 
When news of the breach came through, the team went wild. Finally, all our hard work had come to fruition and the next phase of the mission could begin. Made me feel so proud. Look at that. From the central comms tower rising between the nest of modules, the frozen flags of planet Earth. An inverted blue triangle amid a circle of nine stars upon a green background. And the International Space Agency. A small kingdom. But it's mine. I'm going out to Denver. See if I can find the love in color of mine. Well, I'm going out to Denver. See if I can't find. <laughs> well, I'm going I could be back on the farm right now, checking the panels. See if I <laughs> oh, how I hated my chores. That loving Colorado girl of mine. <laughs> Hey, Rusty! How's it going, boy? Oh, you still remember your old pal, huh? Good boy. The hound's got longer memory than some. Hey, Pa. They're feeding you proper in that place. Oh, Pa, come on. I'm in tip-top health. Medics say so. Well, I guess they must know. But make sure they're not matching you against some cover girl. Well, let's have a look at you. Wow, what you living on, daughter? Thin air? <laughs> oh, Ma, not you do. Welcome home, Boonbug. Now let's get some proper food down ya. Mm-mm-mm. Ma, I'll never tire of your apple pie. I wish I could take a container load with me. So how long is it you're going for on this, uh, trip exactly? Ma, I thought I sent you all the details. In that pack, remember? Oh, that thing? Couldn't make heads or tails of it. Like some SpaceX holiday brochure, selling timeshares on the moon. Well, uh, the real stuff. It's a seven-year trip out, a year on the ground, seven years back, providing it all goes well. Fifteen years? We'll all be in the ground by then. This place is running us ragged. Getting help is harder each season. Nobody wants to live up in these mountains anymore. Only crazy hicks like us, ain't that right, Pa? I know it's a long mission, but it's important. More important than your family? You're the very reason I'm going. You, Ma, brother and sister, their children and grandchildren? For all of our friends, for this community, this nation... This precious earth, look... Look at it out there. It shouldn't be like that. But the greens have gotten in. Ain't they gonna fix everything now? It's gonna take more than four years. And even with all the emergency measures being enforced, we're gonna be seeing the effects of our fossil fuel addiction for... a long time. We've passed TP. All that we can do now is limit the damage. 
Or look for other options. Some feel it's gone too far and we need to think about alternatives. You mean go and live on Uranus? Pa, mind your tongue. We've got to keep some standards. This house ain't going to the dogs. Whatever's happened out there. If there's even the slightest chance that we can find water elsewhere in the solar system or other life, then we might be able to find a life-supporting planet. Well, that may be all well and good for you, but what about us left behind? It's for the future generations. We have to give them some hope, Pa. We've taken everything else away from them, even their home. Valkyrie is in. Congratulations, team. We've broken through. I'll be damned, Maddox. Your super dildo worked. It managed to charm this ice maiden of a moon. You Englishman. Come on, Maddox. Show some humour and take some credit. This is your Oscar moment. Speech. 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 I'd like to thank all of you. Is that it? You need to practice your speech. (laughs) Krogsnick here will help you. (laughs) We did it. Thanks to you all. Celebrate. You deserve it. Cheers. Here's to Europa 7. Something troubling you, Massimo? Hmm. That was a cakewalk compared to the next phase. Now the real work begins. Wouldn't you agree, Jefferson? Yes, sir. There she is, the Ultima Thule, our blindingly expensive state-of-the-art Galileo-class submersible science craft, the sharp end of the many complicated stages which have brought us to this billiard ball. Hmm, Need to give it a final check over. The virtual scans by drones never rely on them. I know they laugh at my obsession for cross-checking, but we only get one shot at this. Ice-penetrating radar, cameras designed to withstand extreme pressure and temperature, the waters may well prove to be 180 degrees below like Ganymede. A robotic arm for collecting samples, and of course, the tusk of the thermodrill, ready to melt a path through the miles of ice to the ocean below. (sighs) Well, all seems to be in order. Right. Now for internal checks. Yes, yes, I know they've all been checked a day ago, but none of us knows the extent of deterioration in such extreme radiation, even with the shields. Better to be safe than sorry. motivator. It was amazing what the world's governments could do when faced with extinction. 
post-TP and the ensuing climate chaos, there was consensus and resolution. When it happened, it happened quickly. The teams and technology were assembled. The pieces had been in place for a long time. SpaceX and other operators had paved the way, with the base on the moon and the Chinese on Mars showing what could be achieved. And so, it is hoped that the Europa survey will achieve its aims. With the skill of this exemplary crew, the support of mission control and the blessings and wishes of planet Earth, of finding a plentiful supply of water, more than in all of Earth's oceans combined, and the holy grail of science, evidence of extraterrestrial life. Thank you. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, time for questions. Ling, New York Times. Dr. Massimo, how can the mission justify its huge budget at a time of such deepening crisis? Shouldn't our governments be spending those precious billions on coastal defenses, storm shelters, and research? A fair point, but I think the two are not mutually exclusive. Our mission's core aim is to save the planet. If we find water, if we find life, then there is hope for humanity either here on Earth or elsewhere. We are traveling to moons that endure extreme climate conditions every day and yet hold the possibility of water and life beneath their surface. We can learn from that. Every bit of science we learn will be fed back. The further we go out there, the greater our chances down here. Next. Yes, you there. A question for Mission Commander Boone. Go ahead. How do you feel about leaving your family behind? Um, heartbroken. Saying goodbye to my mother and father was the hardest thing I've ever done. Harder than all of the training, and let me tell you fellas, that was no hayride. We will be gone for at least 15 years. Who knows what will come back to you? Will my folks still be here? Will the world as we know it still be here? Unknowns. But as astronauts, we have to cope with risk. We'll be facing the unknown and unimaginable risk every day. Hyper-aware that the world will be watching and the hope of humanity rides upon what we find. We'll be able to maintain contact for a while, of course, but the further away we get, the harder that'll be. Once we're past Mars, contact will reduce to essential comms only. We can send and record the odd message, but... Our priorities will shift. But I will be thinking of my loved ones every day, as will all of the team with their families. Leaving them behind is hard for all of us. But somebody must be willing to take the risk, to risk it all, to dare all. For planet Earth and the future of humanity, that's a sacrifice we're willing to make. Said Al Jazeera. Captain, you'll be in command of the Ultima Thule, exploring an alien ocean a long way from the surface and an even longer way from home. What will your greatest fear be? Um, running out of gas. (laughs) In honesty, not the prospect of meeting bug-eyed monsters or unimaginable danger, but failing. That's the truth. This mission has to succeed for all of our sakes if it doesn't 
well, we don't deserve to come back. Better get this right. No margin for error. So, from the top, once more. Episode 2, Europa, by Kevin Manwaring. You heard Danielle Ellett as Commander Boone, Louis Watson as Lake, Charlie Richards as Massimo, Warren Graham as Boone's father, Kelly Winkler as Boone's mother. Other parts were played by members of the cast. Black Box was written and adapted by Kevin Manwaring. Direction, sound design, and editing were by Chris Gregory. The original theme and incidental music for Black Box were written by Chris Gregory. Sound effects were from freesound.org. The presenter is Kelly Winkler. As a bonus to this edition of Black Box, here's writer Kevin Manwaring speaking about Black Box, its origins and inspirations. So where did Black Box begin? Well, I think it began with a seven-year-old boy queuing up all day to see Star Wars, as it was called back then, when it first came out, not episode four, A New Hope, and being blown away by not only the amazing film, but also the sheer scale of the auditorium. Um, I remember having almost vertigo as I first entered it into that vast space, and then I was swept away to a galaxy far far away and after that I was hooked and had to watch anything with special effects in spaceships, robots aliens ray guns and so on and obviously there was a lot of bad stuff out there a lot of derivative stuff Star Wars rip offs but you know there was also good stuff as well um I was a big fan of Doctor Who um Growing up with Tom Baker, he was my doctor, um, but obviously watching repeats and so on. Star Trek, the first series, and uh, British sci-fi on TV, like Space 1999, and uh, everything else Jerry Anderson did. But there's also those classic Saturday morning serials, Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers and so on, that were repeated, and I really enjoyed those as well. The storytelling of them. Um, I started to read any movie tie-ins. There were photo novels back then and obviously comic books and I would just hoover up anything um, with a fantasy or sci-fi quality to it. Um, I got into role-playing games and one of the ones I really enjoyed was something called Traveller which was a science fiction role-playing game, tabletop role-playing game and I think that experience, uh, the shared experience, the improvisational storytelling, the adventure, the excitement of it all 
certainly grafted onto my uh, writerly DNA. And then later on, I started to read other, you know, um, texts, more sophisticated novels, and, um, you know, the love of literature stayed with me ever ever since. And also the love of movies. Uh, I loved arts as a young man. I went to art college. I've got very visual imagination, and I dream in movies. And so I, I loved watching films. You know, the pleasure of seeing... An epic film on the big screen, um, a pleasure which we don't get to enjoy much these days. Um, but there's nothing quite like it seeing those big movies on the big screen. Obviously, sometimes classic films were shown on TV and you know I got to see there things like 2001 Space Odyssey for the first time. One film that I was particularly inspired by was Andrei Tarkovsky's Solaris based on Stanislaw Lem's novel and you know this was really interesting because it was obviously adult science fiction and very psychological, very bizarre, very wonderful and you know a really interesting storyline and it was remade really well um, in a film more recently with George Clooney in but Tarkovsky is, is, is masterful and it's up there with Kubrick's 2001 um, there were so many kind of classic sci-fi movies in the 70s films like Silent Running and Dark Star um, I absolutely loved and you can probably see the influences of those films in Black Box um more recently, the, the work of Duncan Jones, especially Moon, I was really impressed by, and Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. In any work of art, it's not as simple as saying, you know, it's just the combination of these things. It's more than that, you know, it's my whole writerly DNA, all of my life experience, all my reading, all my learning. Um, I was inspired a lot by the cutting edge research at the University of Leicester, where I was doing my research degree. Uh, research into artificial intelligence and space uh, exploration, the Juno project. Uh, so, real stuff went into it as well. So, it leads on to research, um, as well as researching things like AI and, and the exploration of, of space, especially Jupiter in particular. I went to the Eden Project in Cornwall, which you know I've been to before, but it was really inspiring to go back there and to experience viscerally these amazing biomes and to use that experience in, in my story, as you'll discover later on. I wrote a draft of the novel, as it was then, on the west coast of Scotland in Westeros, an epic landscape there's amazing Torridon Mountains and from the croft I stayed in I could look out over the stretch of water known as the Minch towards the Inner Hebrides and be really inspired and it was also very inspiring to know that over that water on the Isle of Jura George Orwell completed 1984 and that was certainly on my radar at the time as well as I was writing this as I was gazing deep into the abyss but I wanted to create the story that had a gleam of hope 
to it. I didn't want to just write another gloomy dystopia. So I used an, an approach I defined in my PhD research as golden dark and ethical aesthetics of fantasy. Uh, because I believe, you know, we have to take creative responsibility about what we put out there. And, you know, I want to give people an adventure, but also some hope about the future. And the uh, motto of the mission to Europa is forward in hope. So I think that sums up my general agenda. Not to be blind to the challenges we face, but to offer another version of the future that isn't just grim dark. So the challenges of adapting a novel to audio. I really enjoyed the challenge of, of, of writing the, the scripts for the first three episodes. I have written some scripts before and it's one that I teach as well. So I really enjoyed doing that. But a novel is a very different beast. Of course, far more words. So I had to kind of murder my darlings many times, uh, cutting out all those beautiful paragraphs and stripping it down to plot to structure to dialogue to what really is needed in each scene to move things forward and I had to find ingenious ways to introduce the characters and also the various tech and visuals and this was achieved with the brilliant help of Chris Gregory the producer the sound designer here uh, who's created these amazing immersive soundscapes and uh now that I've heard um, what he's done, there's a kind of feedback loop now. So it will make um, later episodes perhaps easier to write. Um, but I can imagine there's going to be a continual feedback loop here. As we break new ground, forge new territory, facing up to these technical challenges, like the crew of the Ultima Thule. Mayday. Mayday. This is the Ultima Thule submersible research vessel. Navigational system failure. Critical hull rupture. Descending into the deepest trench in Europa's subterranean ocean. Precise location unknown. Crew life signs on. This is an automated message. Mayday. 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 This is the Ultima Thule submersible research vessel. Navigational system failure. Critical hull rupture. Descending into the deepest trench in Europa's subterranean ocean. Precise location unknown. Crew life signs on. This is an automated message. Mayday. Mayday. breaking trail here in what can be done in an audio drama. It's a very ambitious project, but I'm convinced with such a, a talented team, um, it will be possible that we will achieve our mission. We really want to get out the later episodes. So far, we're going to offer you three of them. And uh, if there's enough interest um, and enough resources, we will produce the rest of them next year and uh, obviously you'd be really keen to get them out there it may be of interest to listeners to realize that i originally conceived black box not as a novel but as a film 
because I've got a very visual imagination. And, um, you know, the whole thing was designed in a very cinematic way. Uh, I can dream in movies, so it seemed like natural to me. But funny enough, that is a good fit with audio drama. I think the special effects are better in audio drama because it means your imagination isn't restricted by what is depicted on screen by the, you know, special effects budget, but by your own imagination. I think it's a, a kind of good fit for Black Box to finally find its true home in this amazing format. Um, thanks to the, the technical and audio wizardry of Chris Gregory and their amazing, talented team. Um, so I hope you enjoy the journey. I certainly am. Please join us next week for the third and final part of this pilot season of Black Box. stories and fake realities podcast audio drama poetry fiction